The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Lembit Opic. You're listening to Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning, one and all. It is four minutes past seven, Greenwich Mean Time, or UTC if you prefer. All over the world, you're welcome to the home of free speech. That's TNT Radio with me, Lambert Topic. Uh, coming up in this hour, we've got uh, our regular contributor, Gemma Cooper, with her unique take on matters of the world. Uh, then we've got Nick Dark, political commentator and human potential expert on Gen Z's political disengagement. That might tie in a little bit with what we've been discussing uh, just a few moments ago with with a TNT listener um, who's very unhappy about the treatment of his daughter in the UK education system. Then we've got Paul McGowan, the irrepressible artist, uh, with his view about meme wars and art. And uh, we'll be finishing off with Joseph Robertson, who will review the turmoil in the Labour Party under Keir Starmer in the United Kingdom, who presided over a pretty substantial revolt in his own party before he's even become prime minister. That doesn't bode well for him in the future, I would suggest. All of that uh, coming up with me in a short while. Uh, Let me just get some commentary from uh, you, the listeners, about a listener. Uh, That was Jason Sloan, who uh, came on after having been invited by me from the chat, because I thought that there was a case to answer about how his daughter was being treated in her state-sponsored school in the United Kingdom. Uh, It turns out that she was marked down after having given an answer which said that CO2 carbon dioxide is not wrecking the climate, but CO2 tends to follow climate, which is indeed true. Technically, when the oceans get warmer, there's more CO2 in the air. When the oceans get colder, there's less CO2 in the air. And if anything, uh, CO2 uh, follows uh, the the temperature of the climate, not the other way around. It is a greenhouse gas, but only at at the margin. Uh, A few comments here. Uh, uh, Louise says about schooling, totally agree. My oldest wasn't indoctrinated like this either. Uh, Terry Truthful says... uh, um, uh, send a piece in to Brian and UK column. Lembit as well. Uh, have you contacted UKC? Be great to see you on there. Okay, I'll, I'll look into it, uh, Terry. Truthful, I haven't had time yet. Ivan says, great guest, Lembit. Uh, yes, I agree. I think that uh, uh, Jason, who is not a professional contributor, uh, I think put his case very clearly. And I hope, by the way, his daughter feels empowered by the fact that she is now beginning to create potentially an educational storm in England because of the way that she was treated. Uh, Holly says, yes, Jason, parasites indeed. Great to hear you and good luck with the idiot teachers. I'm not sure necessarily the teachers were idiots. That needs to be established. (laughs) But that could be that we have an idiotic curriculum, Holly. That's what I want to look into. It's much, much worse if this isn't an isolated case, but rather it's an example of how our education system is hardwired to indoctrinate people to believe something which isn't true. Uh, Ivan says, indeed, a great many uh, idiots. And uh, Teju said, well, it's just not enough to describe the man called Dave. And I want to just mention Dave. I'm sure you mean David Cameron. David Cameron, the man who promised to have a referendum on Brexit and promised to stay on even if he lost. Well, he did lose and then he left, but now he's back. He's back in the unelected House of Lords representing Britain as foreign minister, even though his foreign policy collapsed as a result of losing a referendum. First point. Second point about Dave Cameron. 
Well, he was talking about the climate, but apparently it doesn't apply to him, all this emergency lockdown stuff, because he's just flown all the way to Ukraine in a plane to shake hands with Vladimir Zelensky. Why couldn't he do it online? What's wrong with doing it remotely? Or maybe the climate crisis doesn't apply to him. Maybe David Cameron's CO2 is good CO2. It doesn't do any harm. Whereas the rest of us, when we go on holiday for a couple of weeks in Spain, that's bad CO2. Well, we've seen that before. Uh, the other person who's guilty of the same hypocrisy is, of course, Joe Biden. <laughs> but I cite something else that he's done. Was it a gaffe when he described his mate, the premier of China, as a dictator? I don't think Xi Jinping was too happy about that. Joe Biden will never write a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. But perhaps he accidentally lifted the veil on the hypocrisy, the double standards and everything else that goes with it. Because if you think about it logically, the leader of the free world, Joe Biden, invited, in his own words, a dictator to visit him in the United States of America. Either he's not a dictator, that's Xi Jinping, or Joe Biden's a fool. Or maybe both. I wonder what you think. Let me know. Uh, just get onto the chat at tntradio.live. You'll be able to get involved there. Uh, I'm Lemon Topic. This is TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Very truthful, lads. I quite thought our Dave would lie low and avoid any fallout from the Agenda 2030 and the consequences of what is to come. But his ego is obviously just as big as his head. Um, Jock says Terry Truthful is obsessed with UKC. Well, Jock, I can't make a judgment on that because I haven't had a look. Very happy to do so, though. Uh, Terry Truthful, very happily adds. Thank you, by the way. Uh, Marvellous, Lambert. I'm now a follower of you here. Thank you. Spread the word, Terry Truthful. There's space for everyone. We can have up to 8 billion contributors on our chat, at which point we'll be coming dangerously powerful. Maybe not happen just yet. Somebody else who's dangerously influential is... My very fellow presenter here on TNT Radio, it's Gemma Cooper. Hello again, Gemma. How are you doing? I wouldn't say I was influential. Um, <laughs> I don't think I am. I think it's the lone ramblings of a middle-aged woman sometimes, I think. I'm just happy to have people listening and engaging with it, but I don't think I'm particularly influential. <laughs> The, the lone ramblings of a middle-aged woman, you just described three prime ministers. Uh, anyway, <laughs> 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 just, just putting it out there. <laughs> if you've got any ambitions, there's precedent for that. Uh, I think I'd rather have you than uh, than Liz Truss, to be honest with you. But uh, there we go. And Theresa May. She started a lot of this utter nonsense about the environment, actually. How strange that a conservative chose to wreck our economy. But that's probably not what you wanted to talk about. Over to you, Gemma. What do you want to say? Well Actually, I do, I do want to talk about uh, our, our government this morning and uh, the systemic war on people that they seem to be determined to enact on us. Um, this is a story, it, it will polarise people a, a bit of debate because obviously there are people who do manipulate the system. So what's happening is, is the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, he, he outlined plans yesterday afternoon here in the UK and they've hit the headlines this morning. It was after you and I had, had come off air um, yesterday afternoon. And he's basically saying... Um, it, He's going to really clamp down on people who are on long-term sick and, and disabled, who aren't in work, 
And he's basically saying to them, uh, look, you've got six months to find a job or you can say goodbye to all your benefits, free prescriptions, dental treatment, um, access to public transport. All of those things will go. We're also going to cut your benefits. You won't have anything. You need to get off your backsides now and get back into work. Otherwise, you're going to be you're going to be out of the system, basically. So it's a huge welfare shakeup that they're planning. And it's expected it will form part of the Chancellor's autumn statement next week. Um, and he's clamping down. Now, I know that everywhere in the world where you've got welfare, you will get people, some people who do manipulate the system, you know, and that that manipulate things. And they say, yeah, I'm too sick to work. And then you find them on the golf course. And there are people that do that. There are, but not everybody. Not everybody does that. And, you know, people with long term health conditions are usually people with chronic conditions, people with disabilities, where if you're disabled, that's that's a registered thing. And, you you know, you've got the blue badge here in the UK to prove it. And there are lots of reasons why people are off on long term sick. And that's because they are sick. So this this looks to me like a real uh, war on the vulnerable um, as part of this. You know, they want to save billions of pounds of welfare um, and they're going to look at more than a million people who are off on long-term sick or are disabled and haven't worked for a while and they're going to say right if you're fit for work you better get a job end of now i i would ask the question why and i've raised this on other shows i think i've discussed this with rick and natalie on open line and on locked and loaded um why are so many people on long-term sick leave and then you know to be on long-term sick you have to go to the doctor and they have to assess you and doctors you know that they also know that people play the system so it's quite a rigorous process um, I, and I would argue that there are so many people on long-term sick leave because the system itself is what makes you sick. Now, you and I are very lucky, Lembit. We we have amazing jobs here on TNT Radio where we're allowed to express ourselves without fear of recrimination. We're allowed to challenge the system uh, and we are we are free. You know, it's a, we're incredibly lucky that the station exists. But a lot of people aren't that lucky in the institutions where they work. And a lot of corporations, they they clamp down on the human spirit and, they, and they, you just do what you're told and you don't question your superiors. And it's a very uh, rigid way of, 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 of spending the bulk of your day. Um, a lot of people are bullied in work. A lot of people face harassment at work. A lot of people, especially, you know, we're hearing a lot about, we talked about the police uh, at the top of the last hour, but there's a lot of stuff that's come out about the police in the last few years about the misogyny the sexism the racism within the forces that's all come out from whatsapp messages you know workplaces aren't always that nice and that i would argue is what makes people sick you know the the kind of um toxic corrosive aspect that a lot of working environments have on the human psyche and soul it can make you sick um but there's this real um uh, it's a it's a war on people. It's a war on the on the most vulnerable in our society, those with long term chronic health conditions and disabilities. What I find very interesting is that he he has said, right, Jeremy Hunt, anyone choosing this is a direct quote, anyone choosing to coast on the hard work of taxpayers will lose benefits. Well. I would argue that's what politicians do. They coast on the hard work of taxpayers because it's our money that props the whole system up. And that's why they want us all back in work, because if we're not paying tax, they're not getting paid. Then there's not enough money to send to Ukraine. There's not enough money to give to the Middle East. That's why they want us back to work. But I just find it hilarious. If you're co coasting off taxpayers, uh, hello, mate, that's what you're doing. 
So what you all do in the House of Commons and House of Lords, you're grifting us, you're grifting the taxpayer and you're putting our money in places we don't want it to go. So I thought that quote itself, I thought you're talking about hypocrisy in politicians. I thought, well, there's one right there. But uh, yeah, I feel sorry for people who are off work and, and have got chronic conditions and they can have pressure piled on them even more now, which is going to make them even more sick, which means they're less likely to go back to work, which means they're going to be poor and, and more vulnerable than they are now. Of course, there are dangers in forcing, uh, especially uh, elderly people back into work when they're not fit to do the job. They can make terrible mistakes. But leaving Joe Biden aside, uh, there are <laughs> other people in these 80, by the way, <laughs> obviously, that he didn't get the memo. Uh, obviously, the issue here is that there's an assumption that a lot of these sick people aren't really sick. I, I know when I was a member of parliament, there were people who were playing the system. But you make an interesting point. How much does it cost for us to have a bogus war in Iraq, which we paid for? How much did it cost us to have uh, an idiotic policy towards, this goes way back, towards Argentina and the Falklands, which gave Argentina the impression they could just invade and occupy the Falklands, which caused a war which meant Thatcher wanted, uh, Margaret Thatcher, the Conservative Prime Minister, won another election. Um, the waste isn't just incompetence. The waste is absolutely phenomenal when it comes to those kinds of things. Uh, what do you think would be the better policy then, Gemma? What should he have said yesterday? It's more about support and encouragement, isn't it? Because I, th I think that a lot of these chronic conditions actually apply to less maybe physical um, elements, but mental health elements. That's one of the big reasons why people are struggling is that the the mental health epidemic that's in our society, which the government isn't really addressing. Now, if you had more support to 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 help you gain your confidence back, rather than you know a huge stick coming along to whack you to do what you're told, if there was support for people, if there were like proper training programs, if there were you know rehabilitation more for addicts, uh, that kind of thing, then you would be you'd be you'd be giving people the incentive because you'd be making them feel better. There's never any. Um, desire in our society to mm. help people feel better it's just feel terrible could you because well you're easier to control if you feel terrible um but this mm. will make people feel terrible and frightened and scared just before christmas as well but there's there's never we've got it all wrong haven't we the inversion in our society it's about supporting people helping people saying look you know you can do it mate you can get back to mm. work you can come on we'll do it together i'll help you and there's never any of that it's just the teacher approach right if you don't do what you're told i'm going to mm. hit you with this stick and i'm going to take away all your all your all your benefits take away all your toys you know it's it's treating us mm. abominably my, while they do what they want my grandmother worked long much longer than she should have because she felt obliged to her eyesight was failing and she just carried on working in what amounted to a sweatshop in the 1970s and i remember then the ultimate ignominy was when they just fired her because they decided she wasn't good enough anymore so she did all of that and then she ended up with very little afterwards Thank you so much, Gemma. Uh, <clears throat> a former uh, prime minister of the country said once, uh, you can judge a nation by the way it treats its elderly. How do you feel about what Gemma's been saying? Have you been affected by this? Do you feel pressured to go back to work when you think you really shouldn't? 
get involved in the conversation. Uh, you might even end up on the show. Lots of comments and quotes coming in. I'll, I'll share them in just a minute. I'm Len Turpic. This is TNT Radio. Jesse Zerowell on TNT Radio. In Nigeria, it was reported that Nigeria launches mass HPV vaccination campaign to curb cervical cancer. And this jumped out at me because given what's happening in Palestine, it is another example of the seemingly never-ending brutalization of vulnerable populations, to put it one way, whether through explicit means like the slaughter that is occurring in Palestine or through more discreet, one could argue, means like so-called vaccination, which is nothing but poisoning. Jesse Zerowell on today's News Talk TNT Radio. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning. 22 minutes past seven at Greenwich Mean Time, or UTC, uh, and that happens to be the local time in the UK, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to uh, me, Lemby Topic, here on TNT Radio. Uh, you got me for another 40 minutes. Uh, lots to pack in, uh, all breaking news, all current. Uh, just a couple of comments from the chat. And by the way, if you do go into the chat, there's a risk you'll end up on the show, uh, as uh, one of our uh, contributors did earlier on in talking about his daughter, who was marked down, he believes, for challenging the question of climate emergency uh, i'm going to be following that up with uh with our chat guest uh, that's uh, uh a piece of work for the weekend but we at tnt radio we don't just talk about it we take action too um i'm just going to give you a side show here from from the chat anto uh, who uh apparently identifies as loretta uh says do you wolf do you wolf whistle a uh, good looking guys holes to which uh, Holly replies, um, let me just find it. Uh, 
Yes, I certainly do, Loretta. Uh, just have a look at what's going on in there. Not all of it makes sense, but it's all very amusing. Uh, uh, you just need to go to tntradio.live and you can get on to the chat. Uh, let's move on with our chats to Nick Dark, a uh, human potential expert and a political commentator, about engagement and about the fact that Nigel Farage, one of the most famous or infamous, depending where you stand on the political spectrum, uh, politicians in the UK, and undoubtedly one of the most effective, having essentially orchestrated Brexit, he is going into a programme called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, which is filmed in Australia. I've done that show myself, incidentally. I very much enjoyed it. Uh, well, is it a good idea? Is it uh, an act of vainglory? And what does it tell us about the potential of politicians to either do well or make fools of themselves. Nick, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. You're exactly the right person to talk about Nigel Farage. Uh, you've got political insight and you've also got insight into human potential. First of all, why would Nigel Farage, a man who probably doesn't need the money, go into the uh, reality TV show for five weeks? Good morning, Lembit. Firstly, thanks so much for having me on. So, yes, well, Nigel has come out and said that the reason, one of the reasons why he's going on, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, is in the hope to reach a different audience, a younger audience, who are less politically engaged and, to use his words, are not aware of the Brexit conversation or the things that happened during that campaign uh, and probably earlier too. So, uh, you know, obviously there's money involved, obviously there's, you know, wider exposure from sort of a personal brand, but ultimately that's kind of backed by political interest to get more people engaged because Gen Z and generally tend to be fairly disinterested in the political sphere. Before we talk about Nigel Farage, that's an interesting point you make. Why would Gen Z uh, be not interested in politics or has it always been that way? And so many reasons why they're not interested in politics. I mean, to begin with, they would say that it's essentially, it doesn't accord with their sensibilities. What we see through the news, what we see happening in politics is they, they tend to see it as fairly corrupt, grubby, doesn't accord with their sensibilities, and they'd much rather put their attention elsewhere. And actually, we see Gen Z putting their attention into things like leisure activities, clothes, food, all sort of very transient, disposable things, which is interesting when at that age, you're under a political structure which doesn't afford you much control or direction over your life, when it's very hard to actually save money if you've got a lot of student debt, when it's very hard to actually or probably impossible to get a foot on the housing ladder. You don't see that you have sort of a pathway to build stability and structure and sort of move your life forward that allows you to, you know, settle ultimately and build on your, I guess, legacy, perhaps. So you turn to more sort of transient ways of, of living. And, uh, you know, if we, shall I continue? Would it, not, would it not be a simpler explanation to simply say, at that age, you're more obsessed with puberty than politics? <laughs> Maybe, but I mean, Gen Z, we're also getting into the late 20s now. And I wouldn't say it's, you know, Gen Z alone. I would say, you know, millennials too, which obviously go on from late 20s into, into 30s. And um, who can blame them when you look at something like the news? And I say the word news in inverted commas because that's the point. Is it news or is it gossip? 
is it truth or is it lies? Is it made up? And actually, it purports a lot of fear a lot of the time. And so, interestingly, with Nigel going on something like, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, really, actually, is there much difference now between the news and programs like this in terms of the type of information that's discussed or we're looking at sometimes, right? It can be it can be hard to, to draw the line between the two. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's not good for Gen Z. They uh, are really letting go of their power by disengaging from the political sphere, uh, so, because. So we so we've got so we've got uh, sorry to interrupt you. We've we've got uh, Nigel Farage, uh, former leader of UKIP, the man who's essentially attributed with the departure of Britain from the European Union, going into the jungle. The question mm. that is always asked and was asked of me when I went into the jungle is, <clears throat> isn't there a credibility risk going into a reality TV show where you have to eat bugs and do potentially demeaning tasks? Yeah, absolutely. But there's also a credibility risk as a politician. And actually, what are people wanting now more than anything? And it's actually truth and realness. I think in a program like I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of It, if you're on there for any significant amount of time, viewers would have an opportunity to start to actually see somebody kind of in their truth more than they do than a sort of pitched, polished uh, news interview or uh, political sort of statement and presentation. And Nigel actually is somebody who is fairly honest and frank about himself and will say, you know, some people love me, some people hate me, or I like a pint and a cigarette and that's just me, like it or lump it. And at least actually there's honesty in that rather than, let's say, compared to what we have at the moment, we have a, a prime minister who doesn't have a democratic mandate and sort of ignores that fact. And now just pulling in his friends, David Cameron, into office uh, and it all just looks like a bit of a boys club corruption sort of like scuttled under the carpet. Obviously, David Cameron's had some interesting things go on with Greensill and whatever else in the past. And so actually, there's a there's a reasonable trade off there that actually is going to be beneficial for Nigel that a younger generation, I think, will probably appreciate. You know, you know, Nigel Farage personally, uh, two questions really rolled into one. What's his true motive, in your opinion, and will he achieve it? Um, well, I don't know Nigel that well, but I, I think I know him enough to be able to say that I think that is a genuine drive of his to, I mean, you know, a man that has spent that much time in the European Parliament fighting for Brexit, taking uh, a tremendous amount of flack and hate for his political views um, and and he, in my opinion, does it for love of country. And so for him doing this and to say it's an opportunity to engage a wider um, and younger, essentially p political, well, to try and get a younger population more actively engaged in politics, I, I, I believe that is a true motivation. Last, and last, it's last of, last of all, uh, Nick, uh, What's the upside for him if he does this well? Is it political or is it celebrity? Um, 
Well, maybe both, I'm sure. Um, and he will decide where he wants to take that. Um, and that, that's an upside for him. But also, hopefully, it is an upside for younger generation and politics in general. Because mm. as Plato said, uh, what is it? If, if good men are indifferent to uh, public affairs, they're ruled by evil men. And actually, you know, a, an indifferent younger generation is only going to set themselves up for a bad political situation in the long term. If they want, you know, more money, if they want to get on a housing ladder, if they want a freer way of living, they actually then want a smaller state rather than a big controlling state. And so if you want that, you necessarily have to be more politically active because a smaller state means a power redistribution. So it, does that make sense? So if you want to reduce the control or power or wealth divide from top down, you have to step up and take an active political interest. So and I hope you, that uh, it certainly answers my question. Uh, you've certainly got the uh, the airwaves going here. In the chat, Holly says, Farage is a total joker, a blagger. He'll do anything for a fiver. Holly, I think you'll find he's doing it for a million and a half pounds. I would, again, by the way, Holly, and I bet you would too as well. Be honest, Holly. Holly also says the programme should be called There's Nigel, Go Away. It's uh, obviously quite a lot of response there. Thank you, uh, Nick. I'll tell you what, I would go back in the jungle. I really enjoyed it, but then I'm not planning to stand for Parliament again. What do you think of what Nick Dark uh, has said? Uh, what do you think about Nigel Farage going into the jungle? What do you think about politicians entering the world of reality television? Let me know at uh, tntradio.live or call in as well. If we've got time, we will get you on. Coming up next, we have the irrepressible artist Paul McGowan on his unique take on the state of the country. That's all with me, Lemon Turpic, here on TNT Radio. What's happening? Newsflash. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has defended this week's raid on Gaza's largest hospital. Turkey Air's president has declared Israel a terrorist state, warning Netanyahu his days as Prime Minister are numbered. And Moscow has warned there is a real possibility diplomatic relations between the US and Russia could be severed entirely if Washington keeps pushing confrontational policies. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio, free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. 27 minutes to eight uh, on Greenwich. Meantime, wherever you are in the world, welcome to Meet Lemotopic uh, on TNT Radio. Now we have one of our most energetic and energizing guests. It's Paul McGowan, the artist, joining us from the west of England. He's not allowed near London in case he causes a riot. Good morning, Paul. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> good morning good morning what a crazy week it's been i i tell you i really wish i was working at the moment but i'm on a, a massive break i am so tempted but london is absolutely insane um i've just watched videos of these marches i just do not understand what mark Rowley's is on about i don't understand the policing and i just think it's a fantastic i don't 
I don't think one artist is going to document any of this. That's the thing, because it's a very, very, um, it's a difficult subject to ha happen. But I mean, I, I watched an interview yesterday where somebody was praising Hitler on TV. I mean, what the hell if that actually wasn't? It was on a YouTube video with a TV company filming them. And I've never seen anything like it in my life, you know? I've ne I never realised we live in a country with such embedded um, anti-Semitism. Why do you say that? Why do you think this country has embedded anti-Semitism? Because I've, I've just listened to it on the streets. I mean, I've spent a lot of time watching YouTube this week. And... Um, I cannot believe the things I'm seeing. I mean, it's absolute chaos. Um, I just, look, I believe in everybody's freedom to march and everyone should be allowed to do whatever they like and everyone's got a point of view. But when I, I think as a nation now, we seem to be taking on every single conflict that goes on abroad and it's at home as well because um, of the rampant multiculturalism that's going on. We've had such an influx of people. And of course, they're going to be interested in the countries they come from and they want to defend them but um I, th I, th I find that the whole situation what's going on at the moment i can't i can't see a fix i can't see any way it's ever going to be fixed it seems like um it, it seems like it's an impossible thing because one that one of two state solutions never ever ever going to be accepted by the palestinians um Israel are always going to get attacked. They're always going to defend themselves. And we're always going to have to have it play out on our streets for the rest of time now. But, and, um, but uh, aren't, we making it, aren't we making it worse, though? Because uh, the polarisation is partly fueled by, by what's going on in Parliament, where the Labour Party itself is reflecting what you're describing as happening in the streets, Paul. Do you... Well, this is the thing with Labour. It's made up of so many different factions that nobody can agree on anything. I mean, one of the things I thought was funny when you saw um, that organisation, um, Queers for Palestine, well, they didn't, they didn't go on the march for very long because they all got attacked and their flags were taken. Um, Labour is totally split. And I can totally understand Keir Starmer's point of view where he wants to kick anti-Semitism out of the party and he's trying to make a tough stand. But his party has a lot of people in it um, that do not feel the same way. So this is what gets me about conservatives as well. Right? The conservatives had a chance to shut up, not do anything about Suella Braverman, and just let Labour eat itself in the polls and let it all crash down on their heads. But instead, they decided to make a bold decision and get rid of Suella at a time when they should have just shut up. I mean, I don't understand anything that Richie Sunak does. I mean, to me, he's like a funny little character. I mean, he's got no balls. They must be like Cabri's miniacs. I mean, I feel sorry for his wife. The, the, the thing is, it's just... The Conservatives should have just shut up and done nothing. Nothing at all. And just let it play out. But they just had to do something. And it's almost like it's almost like they deliberately sabotaged themselves or something. I just can't, you know, I've given up on the Conservative Party. I is there anyone you're not angry with? Is, is there any political party you're not angry with, Paul? Well, there is. There's Reform UK. <laughs> I'm doing really? a lot of pushing Why? with Reform UK. Um... Because I just think the country needs a change. And 
I think the Conservatives and Labour, they've had their chances over and over and over again. And reform are going up in the polls. I can't believe they've actually got to 10%. And I think sometimes you just have to make a political statement and you have to change your vote. And, all right, I'm not really expecting them to win a general election. But who knows? Who really knows? And the reality is I think I like their policies. I like their policy on this whole CO2 craziness that um, is absolutely destroying our energy grid. You, you Everything's going on of, yeah, uh, now that you're banging the table, do you know who you remind me of, Paul? You remind me of uh, Wolfie Smith, Citizen Smith. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love that when I was a kid. But you've modelled, you've, you've, you've styled yourself on Citizen Smith. For those around the world who haven't seen it, put in Citizen Smith, BBC, and you'll be seeing a, a younger, equally angry version of Paul McGowan going power to the people as part of the tooting popular front, which I think you'd be a great successor to. People are sick of politics. People in this country are sick of British politics. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what they're going to do next. Nobody really believes in a Conservative party at mm. all. I mean, everything they say, they do not deliver. And I, don't, I think half the things they say, they have no intention of delivering anyway. They've got no intention of stopping the boats. They will talk about it all the time. But, you know, to do that, they have to rewrite international treaties. We have to, that has to be done. We have to leave the ECHR. If you're going to stop it, that's the only way we're going to stop it. And, um, and it is like, um, it is a real strain on the country right now. I mean, what's, what's, what's your you advice then? We've got, we've got Nigel Farage, who's part of Reform UK. He's going in the jungle. Uh, you've got Richard Tice, the current leader, who's uh, busy on the television. Uh, what's your advice to people now? There's not going to be a general election for about a year. What, what do you think, Citizen McGowan, the public should do? To be heard i think people have got to make a protest vote i think people have got to vote for anybody but the tories or labor i mean i i, I see labor will be a disaster when they get in because it looks like they will get in but i'm hoping they don't i mean i, I can see like if i you know if the tories would have just shut up recently and just let labor fall to pieces they would have been. They would have. It would have helped them in the polls, but I, I, I've given up on the Conservative Party, and I think people have got to make a protest vote. And my protest well, vote well, is going to be re reform. But well, I actually like the policies of reform as well. I look at it, but I, you know, I don't. I don't know what their experience is. I mean, they've got some good politicians in there, but what about, I, I what, just, about what about the Liberal Democrats then? What about the Lib Dems? I'm sorry, I know you're the Lib Dem. But no, I, no, I don't worry about me. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they stand for. Um, they want us to go back in Europe, that's for sure. And I just do not want that because I'm a hardcore Brexiteer. And um, I, I, I just wish they'd deliver Brexit properly. I mean, we, we know, just Kemi Badnock's done some good trade deals yesterday in Florida. And that's good. That's good. They're gonna, we're going to build on that, but... We need to have secure borders. We need to have secure borders. Every country needs a secure border. Look what's happening in America right now. And they was in denial about that southern border for such a long time. And now look at the mess they're in. You've got Democrat mayors in New York coming out saying, 
secure the border, secure the border. And they were all for sanctuary cities before. You've got all the sanctuary cities crumbling to pieces. And you've got, like, California right now. They cleared out the homeless pretty quickly and the drug addicts off the streets just because they got a Chinese visit, you know, a state visit. So it can all be done, but it's the will. Is the will there to make these changes? I mean... I do not know how we've 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 had more migration into this country in the last twenty five years than we than we had for the previous two thousand, and we haven't made any plans for that. I mean, the infrastructure is still the same. Um, we I have to tell you, got... I I have to tell you, Paul. We'll have you back for sure. I'd vote for you if you stood. A uh, lot of comment, by the way, Paul, on the chat. Holly says we certainly don't need Keir Starmer or any of the parasites. That's for sure. Morton yeah, makes a. Uh, a very dramatic emoji of left and right. Lots and lots of commentary there. <laughs> um, Mazzy, I totally agree with you, but I'm not reading it out. Paul, thanks very much indeed. I'll see you in Tooting. That is Paul McGowan, the modern day uh, um, answer to Citizen Smith. If you haven't seen it, definitely worth looking on the social uh, networks. Uh, coming up next, we've got Joseph Robertson from Epoch Times to talk about the same thing, the potential meltdown, at least temporarily, of the Labour Party. That's all with me, Lemmer Tobik, here on TNT Radio. The climate agenda is a national security risk. Where do you hear this? From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The climate and energy policies of California are threatening the security of residents. California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to instant state refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. But I did ask for help and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. You're listening to Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Lembit Opic with you for another 15 minutes here on TNT Radio, the station that never sleeps and never shucks from free speech either. If you want to make a comment, remember, you can go to tntradio.live, join the chat, so much going on there. There's a rather interesting debate about culinary options there, uh, which is very amusing. Uh, just to say to uh, Mazzy, even with sourdough, it still wouldn't taste good. Um, just keep uh, keep those comments coming. If you want to see what I'm talking about, go to tntradio.live. Don't guess. Uh, coming up next now, uh, we've got Joseph Robertson from Epoch Times to return back, to circle back to a story that we've touched on a couple of times today already. And uh, our previous guest, Paul McGowan, was talking about the split in the Labour Party, in the parliamentary Labour Party in the United Kingdom, when Keir Starmer refused to back a ceasefire call 
for uh, the Israel-Palestine conflict, causing around 50 of his members of parliament to rebel and a number of them to resign. What's all that about? Paul McGowan says it's a mistake. Is it? Well, uh, Joseph Robertson will be able to give us his expert view. Uh, Joseph, good morning. Thanks for joining us on TNT Radio. Good morning, Lambert. Thanks for having me. First of all, just tell us in your words, what actually happened in an objective sense? What happened in that vote, leaving aside the hyperbole? Well, I think um, some figures on uh, Labour's uh, left flank have sort of grown a little bit disgruntled with the way Starmer's tiptoeing around certain issues and they decided to become a little bit more vocal. Um, and, you know, it's it's really changed the landscape of things going ahead with the general election because, you know, we kind of saw a, a disunited Conservative Party against a united Labour Party. That now doesn't seem to be the case. Um, now there is a rift opening up. Now Starmer does have the same problems uh, that Sunak does on the front benches and trying to get people in check. And we're seeing something similar, perhaps, to what happened with the last days of Suella and the Conservative Party, just from the, the left wing of politics this time. Uh, now, to be clear, it seems that uh, almost a quarter of his party voted against his direct instruction. That's Keir Starmer's direct instruction. And I know as a former member of parliament, once you rebel once, it is easier to rebel again because your card's marked. Do you feel that Starmer will get away with it because this is some kind of a special case, for example, because those MPs felt compelled to oppose Starmer's position on account of local uh, circumstances, or has he actually created a genuine rift which will now bug him? Well, it's interesting to look at the rhetoric that's being used by his opponents, particularly those from perhaps closer to Jeremy Corbyn's end of the party, and you know they're using this term right wing. Uh, to describe exactly what Keir Starmer is doing and, you know, what he's allowed into the party. They're claiming it's almost a right-wing faction. Um, and again, these, these you know, rebellious MPs are being considered left-wing. So you're seeing something similar to what has happened in the Tory party over the last 10 years, where the rhetoric very much becomes about that of a broad church and who you can allow into the party. Um, I don't think that's going to help Starmer to uh, show a united front going into the election, you know, particularly trying to win back um, some of the seats he'll be targeting. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not the Red Wall actually responds better to that kind of rhetoric. Um, you know, after all, they vote Conservative in 2019. Perhaps they do want something a little bit more right wing. Perhaps that is what Starmer is trying to lean into a little bit more. Um, you know, perhaps the Red Wall doesn't care as much about global issues like the Israel-Gaza conflicts, um, you know, and, and perhaps, uh, you know, leaning into that vote, um, leaning into the Muslim demographic vote is also something that he's missing out on in terms of winning back the city. So he's got, you know, catch 22 on his hands, I'd say. Um, it's a difficult one to get right. You've got to try and uh, go for the Labour heartlands, but also to actually, you know, look at your um, demographic in the cities. Um, we've seen, you know, just how much support Gaza has generated in, in recent weeks. Um, it's not a clean-cut case as to which direction he should choose. There are those uh, who say, and I go into Parliament quite often, there are those who say that all Keir Starmer needs to do to win the next general election is nothing. He just should keep quiet. He should obfuscate. He should not make policy statements. Would that be a more effective strategy rather than overtly supporting a conservative position about a ceasefire? We saw a similar kind of thing going on uh, a few weeks ago when it came to the EU and closer realignment with the EU. 
Um, you know, so Starmer went over to Canada and, and met with other left-wing global leaders and, and ended up voicing his uh, belief that we should realign closer with the EU. And, and that, that scared people, you know. I mean, we still do have a, a Brexit majority population looking at polls. Um, and then that was, a, that was perhaps an issue that he should have maybe kept quiet on for a little bit longer. Um, you know, and it could be a similar situation here. Perhaps trying to be more down the middle would have, would have worked. Um, but then again, you know, there have been strong calls for him to take a hard line. Um, the Labour Party has been accused of anti-Semitism in the past. He doesn't want a repeat of that going into a general election. Um, and, you know, he's also got to get rid of the stigma surrounding the figure of Jeremy Corbyn when he was party leader and all of those um, what were considered to be pro-Hamas comments coming from him. Um, and his refusal recently to condemn the organisation um, perhaps has led to Starmer taking this line. Uh, it's been suggested, in fact, yesterday on, on TNT Radio with me, uh, that the reason that Keir Starmer has taken this position is because he's getting millions and millions of pounds from people who are sympathetic to Israel. Is that credible? I can't comment on specific funding. I haven't seen enough of the data and the evidence to actually you know, verify that. Um, but uh, we do know, of course, that Corbyn, again, had funding from parties who perhaps reciprocated Hamas's position a little bit more, um, you know, and that was revealed over the years. Mm. I think um, looking at where Starmer's money is coming from, you know, it's not necessarily the, the clearest route. There are many sort of pro-Jewish um, groups and pro-Israel groups in the UK who, are, who have been part of the establishment for many years and, and fund political campaigns on both sides. And conservative and Labour, um, and I think they're, you know, essentially a part of the framework within which people have always operated. Um, and I don't necessarily think that Starmer's interests have changed just because he has a particular lobby on his side. Um, I just think that he's realised it's time for a revamp within the Labour Party. Now, this subject we're discussing it today is because it's still reverberating through the media, not least because of the rather high-profile resignations of many of his shadow ministers. Why do you think they felt obliged to resign when surely they will have known that this mass resignation, was it about eight of them, uh, would make it look like Starmer can't lead his own shadow cabinet? Yeah, I think I, there were 10, 10 resignations, um, and that you know, I think a lot, a lot of them, uh, perhaps, were thinking about their own populations, about the demographics they're catering to, um, you know, thinking about what touchpoint issues really affect their constituents more than others. Um, well, some will have done it for ideological reasons. You know, you had um, quite, quite, quite a statement from Jess Phillips, sort of saying that she couldn't, you know, um, look at it in good conscience and, and not do the right thing which, you know, is the kind of rhetoric um, that is perhaps reminiscent of what Suella was saying in her letter after resignation to, uh, to Rishi Sunak uh, about immigration. So, you know, this could be looked at as sort of the left-wing equivalent of an immigration topic. It's one of those um, things where, you know, people on the right wing might say this is an imported issue, a cultural issue that we shouldn't have to deal with in this country. On the left, they're going to say that, you know, this is very much an issue that we have to deal with because we have a responsibility to our citizens who, who may have traveled from other countries. Um, and the immigration rhetoric flips on its head. So I think we're just looking at an extension of that. Are we beginning to see the true colors of Keir Starmer's leadership now? Uh, by which I mean uh, the realization 
that his critics have been predicting, the realization that he isn't really that much of a leader, unlike Tony Blair, for example, who did seem to be able to unite even his foes in the party with a single common purpose of winning an election, that Keir Starmer doesn't quite have the same uh, effervescence or charisma? Well, this all boils down to charisma. Um, that's the key word there. I think, you know, we watched uh, Sakir at Prime Minister's Questions last week, or earlier this week, rather. Um, and, you know, it was an open goal. Uh, he should have been scoring with every comment. And there was perhaps only one or two uh, quips that got the attention of people in the House that made them really sit up and laugh, even on his own front bunches. And I think to have, you know, that much of a of an open goal miss is, is something that... Um, won't go down well for too long with his own party. They want to see someone with charisma. At the end of the day, for all his uh, faults and failings that have been listed by the Conservative Party, um, Sunak does have some good comebacks ready. He does have that little bit more wit and and, and um, star power, perhaps, that Starmer is lacking at times. And I think also, you know, Starmer's trying to cater to a very heavily divided party that has been... Um, you know, not looked at because the Tories have seemed so divided that Labour's actually managed to go without observation too much and its own internal rifts haven't been exposed by the media in the same way they would do if they were in power. Um, and, you know, it takes it requires someone with a lot of charisma to hold that kind of situation together. Um, but then again, you know, you look around at the Labour front bunches or even, you know, now at the back bunches with those resignations, there's not an incredible amount of challenge to his leadership. So, um you know, perhaps he's the best in terms of the talent they have at the moment. Um, and the Conservatives have been going through a similar problem. Uh, it's been suggested he missed such an open goal, he could be playing for England. Uh, just Can I just ask you a question about international politics? Epoch Times is a global uh, operation. Uh, I want to finish where we started this two hours. Uh, Joe Biden meeting the Chinese Premier. For many people, that's a surprise because Joe Biden and his administration have been very bellicose towards China. Now suddenly he seems to be cozying up. Why the change in strategy? Or was this just a clever game all along? Well, I think there's um, there's always been a little bit more alignment from the, from the Biden administration as far as China's concerned. Um, they've never been as anti-China in terms of rhetoric as the Trump administration was. Um, and this is perhaps, you know, an effort to... Um, not only preserve, you know, trade, but also to seriously consider the Taiwan situation. Um, there were all kinds of outcries when Pelosi went to to visit Taiwan. Um, and this could be, you know, a way to maybe smooth some of that over. Um, I don't know that it's more than that. I, I think it's just a meeting of world leaders and, you know, in the same way that we've seen Z on stage, um, in other capacities, particularly at the World Economic Forum, um, and trying to align more closely with Western leaders. He's probably trying to do a similar thing here with Biden. From Biden's perspective, I don't know that it's the best optics trying to get that voter base uh, wrangled away from Trump ahead of their own election over there. Um, but I think he's trying to do something that will perhaps calm down foreign policy and, and try and de-escalate de the situation in Taiwan as much as possible. Uh, fi finally, uh, Joe Biden described his guest as a dictator. Was that just another gaffe? Look, there's so many gaffes, isn't there, when it comes to Biden. Um, I don't know that we can uh, we can determine whether or not it was even scripted. Um, but I think uh, in that particular case, 
um, you know, perhaps there is an underlying um, rhetoric that the team aren't afraid to use. Um, there has been some, you know, stronger wording from the Biden administration over China, but I don't know whether or not it was a gaffe. Um, you know, I, I think it's probably one of those situations where you had, uh, you know, a similar kind of tension when Trump met with um, the North Korean leader. And there was, uh, you know, all kinds of, of jokes and rhetoric and, and memes, for want of a better word, um, that that uh, banter era culture that we've experienced in politics over the last uh, years since Trump's election, um, perhaps making a little bit of a return there. Thank you very much. That's Joseph Robertson. I think you've been generous towards Joe Biden, but that's just me. Uh, with that, uh, Joe, Joe, Joseph Robertson from Epoch Times, with that, we've run out of time. Uh, thank you so much for being with me, Joseph. Thank you all who are listening. Uh, stay with TNT Radio. We are here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And do get involved in the chat. Holly says charisma. None of that with Keith. Holly, it's Keir. It's not Keith, it's Keir, but maybe you're doing it on purpose. I'll be back on Monday. Have an absolutely fantastic weekend. Enjoy my fellow presenters over the weekend. And uh, I promise you more facts and opinions next week. Uh, see you in a couple of days. Mm-hmm.